0: Welcome to Men Are Nuts, a podcast about mental health, emotional health, psychological health, awareness in men and society. First, it started with MAN, M-A-N, the acronym for Men Are Nuts. And very, we have a very special guest on the show for you today. Can you introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, sure, Andy. Uh, my name is uh, Professor Paul Miller. I'm a consultant psychiatrist and I have a special interest in uh, the psychological impact of trauma and uh, that's obviously pretty relevant to what's happening at the moment for us as a, as a world with regards to the pandemic. Um, I've been uh, working in psychiatry for uh, nearly 25 years and I specialize in uh, a psychotherapy called eye movement desensitization and reprocessing or EMDR therapy, which is one of the gold standard uh, trauma-focused psychotherapies. Um, So I run a a private clinic uh, just outside of Belfast and I'm also uh, working uh, in both of the universities, so that's Ulster University and the Queen's University of Belfast, uh, looking at how we use EMDR uh, in different contexts. Uh, Some of that is with perinatal trauma, uh, with uh, working with midwives and perinatal experts helping people who've been traumatized through traumatic births and such like. Um, and also then, uh, would have an interest in uh, the impact then with regards to mental health in terms of uh, men. And obviously we're aware of the, the spike and risk uh, to suicide and such like in men. And a lot of the men that I work with currently would be uh, working in the first responder communities um, and have been traumatized in that setting.
0: Right. Okay. So you're, you're, you 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 so you see you you've done a lot over the you know your 25 year period. So for the listeners out there, um, what where is Belfast and what is Belfast, Belfast like to live and work?
1: What's well, Belfast like? Okay. Well, well, Belfast. I suppose really we we would see um, people from all over Northern Ireland, and I think I suppose the thing is if you've Never been to Northern Ireland. One of the things is we're, we're up at the north uh, of the island of Ireland. Uh, we're part of the United Kingdom. Um, but we're really quite a small number of people. Just about 1.8 million people at present. Yeah. And uh, the, the main sort of city would be Belfast. The second one being uh, Derry, London. Derry, up in the northwest, which is where I grew up as a boy.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, in terms of Belfast and Northern Ireland uh, really we're still a society which is emerging from conflict so we had over 30 years of of terrorist conflict um, with all of the trauma that that brought so a lot of my work um, as a trauma specialist would be helping people who have really an impact in terms of the legacy of what we call the troubles. Yeah. Um, some of those, again, being people who have been directly traumatized, but others who are suffering the impact of having been traumatized uh, because they've seen violence visited upon their families and loved ones and their communities. Um, so part of my, you know, part of what drew me into that was growing up in this context, and I suppose having a natural desire to want to, to play a part in bringing some healing to the community.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you, so in a sense, then you, you, you're, It's almost like you're giving back. You've you've kind of seen what's happening growing up, and then you're, you've got this, this inclination to kind of give back.
1: Yeah, I mean, I had. I mean, we all make our own journey, and so in terms of you know looking at, I think we all have that natural sense, particularly if we look at people who come into the area of mental health. Uh, many have had that experience and I think you can't have grown up as I did in Northern Ireland in the 70s and 80s without having had that experience of um, people who were known to me who had been murdered and just experiencing the context of what that felt like to be in that society at that time Um, and really I suppose whenever I was um, Doing my training, looking at mental health, and I, I just became really fascinated by the impact upon the mind, and uh, we are an embodied mind. So, then looking at that mind-body connection, and uh, being able to see how uh, we can start to understand the mind and the body connection, and I would include spirit with that in terms of many of the sort of psycho-spiritual experiences people can have, uh, and so starting to bring. All of those different things together with a lived experience of trauma and seeing in a sense what worked in my journey but also that like as a professional what, what I can bring back yeah. to again to the the communities that at this point thankfully are beginning to emerge from trauma but there is still a lot of, of trauma which is going on and so it's interesting that as I've been doing that now, to suddenly drop all of that into the context of, all of a worldwide pandemic. Yeah. Everybody is outside of their window of tolerance, everybody is experiencing um, anxiety and distress and trying to break meaning and understanding and so it's very interesting to to be able to look at how the work that I've been doing for many years is very relevant at this present time as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. and. Um we'll come back to that in a minute because we, we, we spoke about that before and it'd be interesting to you know for you to share your views on that um so have sure. you have you always wanted you know is it from you know, what was it from a boy if you always wanted to get into that line of work or
1: well i think i was always fascinated by i suppose biology and uh, you know how things worked and that led me sort of to develop an interest and a, a desire and a passion to study medicine. Um, I think my mum was a had been a psychiatric nurse, had some awareness of the mind, and you know sort of a fascination in it, and so that ultimately then drew me uh, into the area. Um, the, I was very lucky and blessed then to have sort of real mentors. Uh, one of whom was Dr. Peter Curran, who had uh, been a local expert and psychiatrist in the Matter Hospital in Belfast. And around the Matter Hospital, the, the five postal code areas saw one third of all the deaths uh, and murders during the Troubles. And one third of all the people traumatized. So it was a it was a hospital that saw a lot of people who had. Uh, experienced a lot of the trauma of the troubles, yeah. and so really his passion uh, as a teacher and a mentor really drew me then into that. And I was lucky then back in 1997 through one of the humanitarian aid programs ran a training um, up in Londonderry then for EMDR, and I was very lucky again to to be on uh, that training, and the rest is history, as they say. Yeah.
0: So that, that um that conflict, when we look at the conflict, um it's not it's not even like it's um how many like three or four generations ago. It's it's kind of almost fresh to the point where like you say you're getting more and more people coming forward with um you know, trauma and things like that. It's not like it was, you know, this this a war that happened, you know, hundreds of years ago and, and it's almost like it's quite fresh, isn't it?
1: Yeah I mean you you have people who are still alive and have had that you know lived experience of directly being impacted by it. Um, The reality is that what what we see in trauma is that actually if a brain, if our minds aren't able to process the experiences that we've had and one of the characteristics of trauma is that it it overwhelms a normal system and people used to look at sort of trauma and you know if, if you couldn't cope with the battlefield that there was something wrong with you, or there was something defective or deficient in you. And in fact, the Royal Air Force used to use the term lacking moral fiber. Um, So it was putting the the blame, as it were, on the person. Whereas what, what I would teach would be what one of my colleagues in the States who does a lot of work with first responders, he tells them, you're understandably disordered given the set of extreme circumstances that you've been through. Uh, and I think that's a very helpful way to put it, because it isn't a deficiency in us. Yeah. And this is one of the things that I think is particularly relevant at the moment, because we're going to have lots of frontline workers now being placed in situations that they've really never been fully prepared for and couldn't really be fully prepared for. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe being in a situation where they have to decide you know, who gets a ventilator and who doesn't. and being left with you know, the, the serious consequences of not being able to do that for everybody. Um, um, the literature and the research talks about is we, we've been able to learn from battlefield psychiatry and, and military psychiatry and really brings the concept of what we call moral wounding or moral injury where in a sense something happens and transgresses or we core values and as a carer, as a as a frontline worker who wants to be a part of a system that helps and heals people, it's gonna be very, very difficult to be in a situation where you cannot provide that help to everybody because yeah. you have ten people and only five ventilators. Yeah. And so I think there's a there's a need for us to be very mindful of the, the mental health needs to the first responders in this current context and we can't borrow and learn of the past and one of those things that we learned from the past is giving first responders and something that's relevant to all of us of course at this stage Andy yeah. is to allow ourselves to not be okay mm.
0: yeah yeah because I, I saw something I read something the other day and which was which was very um, you know a, a lot of people haven't touched upon it was the fact that the first responders you know, you know the nurses you know all these people who are who may may not have had the amount of training to be able to deal with the, the things that's happening now a lot of them may after this will have um, you know, PTSD or um, you know things that things happen to them that that trauma um
1: yeah there'll, there'll be an understandable consequence because too much of a good thing is still too much and too much of something which is completely outside of the scope or ability for a person to cope will have understandable consequences. Some of those may frame themselves as a post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, Equally they can come up as fears and phobias, you know, we know that in the sort of writings that looked at people after the Spanish flu, for example, that it took years for people to begin to feel comfortable to meet together in large groups because they had spent a whole period of time being told don't gather in large groups and if you do that that could you know result in the death of yourself or people that you love and so to to come out the other side of the pandemic at that point of the spanish flu the reality was people really struggled with you know doing something as simple as meeting together in a larger group and we're going to see the same sort of of challenges um happening now
0: yeah definitely And, and You know, it's, it must be a highly, in a sense, stressful situation to be put under, in, in such a short space of time. It's almost like, you know, there's no preparation for it. Bang, there's, there's one person coming in, another patient coming in, another patient coming in. And like you say, some of them would have, yeah, some of those people would have been, there'd be more deaths in a, in a shorter space of time, rather than, oh, this, this person's, the, the nurse is, you know, looking after this person, and then two weeks later, they died. Um, in a normal, you know, on a regular day, this is happening on very quickly, yeah. um, and it must have a, a massive impact on the mind and, and the and their personality.
1: Yeah, and I think the thing is, part of the challenge is helping people to be able to hold on to the awareness of the skills that they do have, because you got to remember, you know, our, our frontline workers, in terms of, you know, right from this, you know. The uh, cleaners here having to do specialist jobs in regards to making sure the the whole facilities are, are clean and properly prepared and you know right right every single part of that system has a role to play and it's helping people to be able to hold on to the skills that they do have. Um, the risk is if we get pushed outside of our window of tolerance, it can be hard to see those things and people often can have a sense of being de-skilled and so part of part of the role is really helping people to try and reduce the level of anxiety and so myself and and my colleagues internationally are looking at ways in which we can help to equip people to learn some skills in in how to deal with anxiety so uh, you know one of the things we know that in EMDR I suppose one of the unusual parts of it is that we use eye movements or putting in a sort of a a, a, we call a bilateral stimulation so it could be tapping on either side of the body and one of the things about that as we know from the studies that have taken place to examine what the effect of that is is that that can cause our Inborn system of relaxation that exists in our bodies to be able to be upregulated and, and bring a calming effect. Yeah. And so it's about being able to look at teaching people um, practical skills uh, that they can use. Uh, so, one of the commonest ones that we do is called the butterfly hug, where um, simply the person, it was developed by Lucy Artegas and her husband um, Nacho Herrera, who are clinicians. Were working in South America and they also were involved in the aftermath of the Christmas tsunami and, and what they realized was that they could they were going to places expecting to see a small number of children um, and having ten times that number and so part of that led to the development of this technique called the butterfly hug where simply the person would cross their hands in front of them yeah. uh, and linking the thumbs would make like a little butterfly and then by simply placing that on their chest, just underneath the collarbones, you know, your fingers just sitting underneath the collarbones, and simply tapping one side and then the other, and doing that in an alternating way. That by doing that, what it actually does is it upregulates or switches on to a higher setting our parasympathetic nervous system, which is our system which helps us to relax. And you don't need to have any special sort of learning about it. It's really straightforward. Young children were able to learn and use it. Uh, Nacho and his wife and their teams that work in these disaster areas use it a lot now. And if people want to go to um, the Facebook page of my organization, which yeah. is uh, Mirabilis, so M-I-R, a-B-I-L-I-S, Mirabilis Health. Um, there's a series of different videos from colleagues all around the world right. teaching different relaxation things like, for example, the butterfly hug. Uh, or even if they want to type it in online, um, Nacho has done a, a nice YouTube video teaching people the butterfly hug. Right. That's,
0: that's fantastic. And so is you have more techniques on... Um, Online, then, um, to to kind of help this sort of situation?
1: Yeah, I've uploaded as much as I can in terms of what colleagues have uh, been doing um, internationally, and a place where I put that for sort of my staff and and the people who link with my services on on our Facebook page. Um, But likewise, there's, you know, people want to just put in EMDR and do a search um, for sort of. Maybe local therapists or people that can help them or 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 teach them some of these skills. As I say, um, uh, Doctor Nacho, his YouTube uh, is a great place to start in terms of the butterfly hug, and it's well applied in in both man-made and natural disasters that he's been a part of responding to, and he has a a very long track record of doing that work. Yeah,
0: and one of the things that I've I've just picked up, you know, kind of thought of in the past, and and you kind of brought it home to me is that through all this tra- trauma, we're talking about some of the nurses and, and the responders who, who, who would have maybe seen you know, death before or trauma or whatever, but for, for a lot of people there's, there's volunteers who may be saying, oh yeah, I'm going to help, I'm going to help. There's, there, might be a, it, there could be a possible fallout there in terms of volunteers not being sk- skilled. Would you, would you say these techniques would help them as well?
1: yeah Yeah, I mean the butterfly hug and uh, you know things like uh, mindfulness and breathing exercises Um, you know one of the common things we hear people doing if they're stressed is they they do this big sigh you know sort of (sighs) this type of thing if we listen to people who are in stress situations and we know that one of the things that that does is that it uh, increases parasympathetic tone which is that relaxation effect and so taking a person and helping them to take time for themselves. Um, often our first responders are, are incredibly hard-working, loyal people who want to be a part of the solution. Um, the difficulty is at times that they, they don't then take sufficient time to take care of themselves yeah. and so we need to be encouraging people that this is not something that is an extra that this is an essential part if i want to give you a drink of water from my glass then i have to have some water in the glass and so it's about helping to keep our glass of water filled for our first responders and all the people that are involved right from you know the, the sort of the, the cleaners right up to the CEO. that every part of that organization is being feeling that they're being valued and being encouraged to take care of themselves because it's only when we effectively take care of ourselves that we then have the capacity to take care and be present in the way that we need to be for others.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and for a lot of, yeah, you say, the first responders of are oh, really, um, a lot of them are doing long, you know, very long hours. Um,
1: well, many of them have moved to sort of military rulers where they're sort of 12-hour shifts.
0: Yeah. And for some of them, they won't have, you know, family, home, or some of them, might not even be eating properly. What would, what, what would you, you know, you've 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 spoke about some of the things that can help them, um, the mind, you yeah, know, the body. What, what, some of, what's, a, what would you think the process would be for them to? Is it a case of just, you know, find the place of, of relaxation? What, what would you say to to those, um, first responders? Oh.
1: One of the things that I would say is that they give themselves permission that it's okay to not be okay and that likewise that they don't have to deal with that by themselves, that you know talk to their colleagues. Uh, I know that um, colleagues in the NHS are working hard to put in place um, uh, a way to support first-line workers, uh, front-line workers and uh, you know have a point of contact where they can call and talk to people there are already various different employee assistant programs and such like in place but it means that the person themselves has to give themselves permission to not be okay and almost the sense I would be saying to people that they've got to expect that they're not going to be okay because everybody is outside of their window of tolerance at the moment Mm -hmm. so doing the basics well small things are not trivial at this point Um, you know uh, If you're living with other people, you know, connect to them, talk to them. And don't just talk to them about what's happening in the pandemic. Talk to them about other stuff, you know. Look at pictures of times from holidays and do fun stuff together, laugh together, you know, sing together, do lots of things that engage you as a person in that whole sort of body, mind and spirit way. And in that way, then, if you're feeling that you know you need a bit of extra help, then don't don't just sit on an escalator and and, and ask for help and you know there are people there here I know working hard to put things in place to be able to support um, uh, staff and so don't don't ignore that you reach out um, and in that way then we are aware of the need and hopefully then we'll be able to make a response to that need to support people Um, eat well you know, don't don't skip meals. Don't uh, don't ignore taking care of the body, and you know, you know, giving good health and nutrition. These are going to be stressful times, and our minds are going to be working hard. Many people are learning new skills, or outside of their um, comfort zone, um, and the brain at rest uses about forty percent. Of all the energy that the body produces so it's an energy hungry organ and so we've got to be mindful that we've got to be feeding and fueling that mm. and that lastly I, we would always teach there's no health without mental health and equally there's no mental health without healthy sleeping so encouraging people to look after the basics good nutrition good rest and a good cycle around sleep as well and try and keep to a good pattern of your sleep um make sure that you're uh, you know, doing the basics well in terms of trying to keep a routine around your sleep. Yeah. Uh, that includes things like be outside in natural light for at least part of the day, because we know that that helps to regulate our our, uh, our day night cycle yeah, and well. in terms of how we perceive light. And then in terms of night time, avoiding you know being on your mobile phone right up to the last minute before you're trying to close your eyes, things like that. Yeah,
0: and just before you know, we kind of. Um, Brings to a close. Um, would you say that? Because t- you, you hit upon a few things there, of not being on your phone and eating well and and talking about other things that that raises your mood and makes you feel you know a bit more um, happier. Would you say that? Because we've moved into this era of of information. Do you think that there's this ongoing i mean i'm not in the uk but and i don't really i don't have tv on anything but from what i've been told is the news is constant i mean i mean are you do you find, think that too much news is is too much for the brain particularly in this sort of well, pandemic
1: I, I mean from my point of view i i would often recommend um People that I work with consider doing a news fast. in other words, don't listen to any news. My invitation would be: the benefit is because there are channels that are twenty-four-hour news, or we can get news in a selected way on our on our mobile devices. My invitation to people would be: you know, be a consumer of the news. In other words, choose when and how you want to access it, and, and not just sort of have it running in the background. I would recommend you know, not listening to it first thing in the morning unless there's some very good reason to do. Start your day with something that grounds you for the day. Uh, think about a mindfulness practice um, or if you have a, a spiritual faith tradition, maybe there's, a, again, a spiritual or faith um, process that you can use to grind yourself and to sort of prepare yourself for the day. But using, in a sense, a way of instead of being bombarded by this information in a way that we feel we have no control over that instead we take control back and we decide right I'm gonna look at the news channel and I'm gonna watch for the headlines if I see a few headlines that are interesting I can listen to those then I'm gonna switch it off or I can go on my mobile device and I'll, I'll take a look at a certain you know, news outlet that I trust and like and I'll consume what I need to know from there but then I switch it off Uh, and it just because it it just controls the amount of information that we're having to deal with
0: yeah definitely um so I mean I I, I know this is a short one but you know that's definitely I want to have you on again because this has been fascinating and fascinating listening to you in in depth about the things that you do um I know we've we've um we've this 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 pandemic is is affecting us all and you know, just hope that your family is safe and everyone's family is safe um, around the world. Um, yeah, you know, thank you for thank you for coming on.
1: No problem. Thanks, thanks for having me. I think this sort of thing is important for people, Andy, because I think there are there are things which people can do. There's lots that people can do, and we know that taking care of our mental health and well-being helps us with regards to our immunity as well. Yeah. Stress, distress, pressure. Um, all of these things we know causes a dip in our immunity and that's not something we want at this time. So, you know, being careful, taking care of ourselves and our loved ones, being in a functional, connected relationship with people that we love and who care and love us is actually as good for our immunity as anything else. Definitely.
0: Definitely. Thank you for that. And, um, yeah, definitely, I'll definitely want you back on again. I know it's a short one, but we'll, we'll definitely be talking again. No problem. Nice talking to you. That was Men Are Nuts. Speak to you again. Bye-bye.